what would it take to get you to stop following God? To stop trusting in God? Would it be the loss of one of your family members? Would it be being out of work for an extended period of time? Would it be losing your health? What would it be that would cause you, that would be the tipping point that would say, you know what, I'm done with Christianity, I'm done with following God, I'm done with listening to all that stuff? What about for the kids? When you grow older, are you going to keep coming to this church? Or if God puts you in a different place, are you going to find another church that teaches the Bible that will help you grow in faith? Or will something else become more important? Your job? A relationship maybe with someone who's not interested in God? What will be more important to you at that point? In this passage, we usually think that it's like, Lock picked the good land, Abraham picked the, the bad land, and uh, so wise and foolish choice, which there's some elements of that for sure. But as I was thinking through this passage this week, think about what's going on in this passage in light of what comes right before it and in light of what comes right after it, right? So what came right before it? Beginning of chapter 12, God makes amazing promises to Abram, says, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you land, all of these other sorts of things. We come to the end of chapter 12, Abram goes down to Egypt, he doesn't technically lie, but he certainly takes advantage of Pharaoh, God spares him, what is Abraham's next move? Look at the beginning of the passage. Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev. That's just the south part of the land of Canaan. He and his wife and all that belonged to him and lot with him. Quick thing to note. Uh, who is the all who are with him? Uh, chapter 12 and verse 5. Sarai, his wife, Lot, his nephew, all their possessions which they had accumulated, all the persons which they had acquired in Haran, they set out for the land of Canaan. That's chapter 12 and verse 5. Lot has been with uh, him even before that, at the end of chapter 11. He was traveling with Terah, and then he, now he's traveling with Abram. So this group goes from where they were in Haran. They go to Canaan. They go down to Egypt. They come back up to Canaan. They're all still together. Verse 2, now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And we talk about this idea sometimes that in the Old Testament, their wealth was not so much in money as it was in the livestock and herds and all of those things that they possessed. But Abram had both, both what we would count as valuable and what in his day was also considered valuable. It's not like it was always an either or. He had both of those things. He had precious metals and he had much livestock. Why did he have all those things? He had all those things because God blessed him in spite of his lack of faith at the end of chapter 12. He had all those things, at least in part, because Pharaoh had given them to him as sort of the bride price for Sarai, right? 
And we see this idea of God's promise to bless Abram prevailing in spite of Abram's sometimes foolish choices. So Abram is rich. He's back to the place he's supposed to be. Look at verse 3. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. It is probably significant that he goes back to the place where he had first come after he had believed the promise of God. He's in that place. There's famine. There's this question of, is he going to starve in the land? He goes down to Egypt, seemingly without consulting God, seemingly without calling upon God's name. But now he's back in the place where God had told him his future lies. Verse 4, To the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. That phrase, called on the name of the Lord, connects Abram with all those earlier in the book of Genesis who have expressed faith in God, right? Descendants of Seth, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Noah calls on the name of the Lord. Now Abram is calling on the name of the Lord. There seems to definitely be a renewal and a strengthening of his faith in God and in his promises. But now there's going to be a conflict. Lot also had flocks and herds and tents. The land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions was so great they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. Two people whose herds and flocks and possessions and people they were taking care of were so great that there's not enough grass in the immediate area to support all of their herds. This seems to be in some way another test of Abram's willingness to trust in God and follow God from the perspective of, is he going to say, you know what? There's not enough room here. Let's go to another place where there is room. Or is he going to stay in the land where God has made all these promises to him. What is his proposed solution? Verse 8, Let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Interestingly enough, this theme of strife between the herdsmen is going to come up again later with Abram's son Isaac, because the servants of Abimelech and Isaac's servants are going to fight over who has the rights to different wells that have been built by Isaac, by those who have come before him. Are they his? Are they the Canaanites? And there's the same theme of strife that comes up and a similar type resolution. That's not going to be until several chapters from now. But Abram's solution, verse 9, is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, I'll go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord." Why was it significant that Lot went toward 
Sodom and Gomorrah. We usually think that it's significant that Lot went down towards Sodom and Gomorrah because as he went down there, he was getting close to the people who were dishonoring God, the people who were the, um, the example of wickedness in his day. And it's true, they were not godly people. But here's the bigger issue that I think we sometimes miss. Lot went that way because he was trusting in his own ability to meet his needs instead of allying himself with the one that God had promised to bless. So go back to Genesis 12, verse 2. So you shall be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Lot goes with Abram to the land of Canaan. Lot seemingly stays with Abram in the land of Egypt. Lot goes back to the south part of the land of Canaan. Lot says, you know what? It's worked up till now, but now I'm going to go my own way. So I go back to the question I asked you a moment ago. What would be enough to tip the scales for you to stop believing in God and say, I'm going to go my own way because it seems like a better way? The answer is probably different for every one of us. But Lot going the direction he went was a sign of lack of faith in God's promises that was going to lead him into all sorts of trouble later on. In the next chapter, he's going to get captured in battle. A few chapters later, he's going to lose his wife, all his, all his possessions. His own daughters are going to betray him in a terrible act of wickedness. He's going to become the ancestor of tribes that are going to fight with the Israelites for generations to come. But the primary issue is not his geography. It's his attitude toward God's promises. Do you believe God's promises? It's easy for us to say that we believe God's promises and then to live in a way that shows that we're not really as convinced of them as we say we are. And the first question is, which promises has God made to us? Well, the, God, the promise that God made to Abram was, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. Clearly, that promise is not given to us individually, because we're not Abram, right? And most, perhaps none of us, or are physically descendants of Abram. But what are promises that God has made? Jesus has promised that he's coming back. There's a lot of parables in Jesus' teaching that talk about this idea of being ready for the Master's return. And we might go a whole day and not give any thought to Jesus coming back. In that day, for those hours, are we believing God's promises the way that we ought? Probably not. What are other promises that God has made? God promised that we will sow what we reap. He says we will reap what we sow. But usually we have to sow it first, right? Do we believe that? 
Sometimes we think, I can live a life that's characterized by some sin, anger, greed, lust, pride, laziness. It's going to work out okay because it's worked out okay for a long time now. Or it worked out okay for that guy over there. God says you're going to reap what you sow. Do we believe that that is the way that life generally works? Or do we come up with reasons why I'm the exception to the rule? Or for the kids. Genesis 6. The verse that we don't like to be reminded of when we want to do our own thing. Right? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Paul's writing this to a largely Gentile audience, but he's saying there's a sense in which that promise holds true for them as much as it did for the Israelites. Essentially this, there is not a guarantee that you will live to be a ripe old age if you obey your parents but there is an almost certain reality that if you choose to disobey your parents, your life is likely to be cut short in some way. We're like, no, I can do my own thing. The verse says, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. What about verses that talk about God's power to defeat Satan? We all face temptation, right? I just gave in to it. Whatever the temptation was. Is God greater than Satan? God say that if you ask him for his help, he will give you his help, and that you can have victory over sin. Yes. But sometimes, we like saying yes to sin. And so God's promise gets sort of pushed to the back of our mind because we want an excuse, right? So, are we going to continue to believe the promises of God? Are we, after a point at which we fail to believe the promises of God, going to turn back to God like it seems Abram is doing at the beginning of this chapter? Or are we, like Lot, going to say, I can solve my own problems. I know God said he's going to bless this guy over here, but I think I can figure my life out on my own. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to separate myself from the one that God has made the promises to. Look at God's response at the end of the chapter. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. Why does God say this now? Abram obeyed. Abram believed. 
Abram's standing before God was not changed because of his lack of faith at the end of chapter 12. God had committed to bless Abram sort of in spite of himself. But God doesn't renew the promise and expand the promise and explain the promise further until Abram grows in his faith and obeys and shows evidence of that belief. Verse 16, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Verse 16 must have been a strange thing falling on Abram's ears. Probably in his late 70s by this point. What does he not have? No son. God, how am I going to have descendants that outnumber the sand on the seashore if I don't even have one kid right now? Going back to the question I asked you at the beginning. What would prevent you from believing God's promise? How long would it have to seem like God's promises have failed before you give up on them? Abraham's going to go 25 years before God answers the promise, fulfills the promise that he's made, give him a son. That's a long time to wait. Would you keep following God for 25 years? And Abram didn't do it perfectly. There were points along the way where he clearly was not trusting God's promise of a son, tried to come up with his own scheme to make it happen. And that created a whole bunch of problems too. We'll see that in the coming chapters. But God says, I'm going to give you a son. He implies it at least in verse 16. I'm going to give you many descendants. And then he says, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Walk through the land. It's yours. Go back to the phrase at the end of verse 7. The Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. What's another obstacle to the fulfillment of God's promise that Abram probably didn't see a way around yet? It's going to be my land. It's like, that's your house. There's already people living in that house. Same thing. Is he going to trust God that God is going to work out those details? Or is he going to doubt God's promise? God had said he would give him the land. God said he would give him descendants. God is clearly continuing to bless him even despite himself. God is being faithful to his promises. And we have in this chapter a contrast between Abram choosing to trust God's promises and Lot choosing to go his own way. Notice the parallel going back to verse 10 between Lot and Eve. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. What is that alluding to? The place that Lot picks looks like the Garden of Eden. If you were going to pick one place to live, that's the place that you would pick. Abram's living comparatively, at least for part of his sojourn, in kind of a Dust Bowl kind of situation. If you had to pick between a well-watered garden and a wilderness, which one would you pick? 
Are we going to be ruled by faith or by what we can see right now in front of us? Verse 18, Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. In other passages, we learn that this Mamre was one of the Canaanites, uh, specifically, if I remember right, an Amorite. He later becomes an ally of Abram because he goes with him in this war of the kings at the end of chapter 14. Uh, what does Abram do when he gets there, though? Builds an altar to the Lord. Now, as I said before, there's some discussion about whether um, this was for sure a place of pagan worship, but it's well known that these were often places of pagan worship. And so again, while it's not like the Great Commission kind of thing that Abram's doing here. He is definitely saying, I trust in God, and this is a witness and a testimony to the pagan Canaanites who are living in the land. God had made promises to Abram. Abram, throughout his life, has this up and down relationship with those promises is he going to believe them is he going to come up with his own solutions is he going to believe them even though they take a long time to be fulfilled is he going to um, follow God despite all the various obstacles that come into his life but the general trend of Abram's life is what we see here and what we're going to see in chapter 15 and verse 6, he believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. All of the Bible characters that we hold up as heroes of the faith are like this, right? They're not perfect. We think that they're perfect sometimes until we start reading the course of their lives and we realize they're a lot like us, or maybe the other way, we're a lot like them. God, I think, recognizes that our faith is not perfect. He's not content to let us remain in that state. He doesn't approve of that state, but God recognizes that our faith is not perfect. But the question is not, do you have a perfect faith, but do you have a faith in God, and are you believing His promises? Or are you living by what you can see? 1 John warns that we should not love the world the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the foolish pride of life. Lot seems to be ruled by some or all of those passions and desires. Abram, at least in this chapter and for this time that we're looking at, is trusting in God's promises. There are going to come things into your life that are going to test whether you really believe God. Is God still the God that he says he is if he lets, causes, brings about this circumstance? If he takes away this good thing, a husband, a wife, a child, a friend, a job, a house, the list goes on. If God 
does something to me? Is he still the God that he says that he is? And am I still going to believe him? Or if he doesn't do the thing that I have earnestly prayed for for years and years and years. And do you think Abram was probably praying that God would give him a son? And God doesn't do it. And God doesn't do it. And God doesn't do it. Are you going to keep believing in God? Are you going to keep trusting in Him? It's the question each of us asks ourselves constantly, whether we think very much about it or not. And in a passage like this, we're reminded... What looks good right at the moment is not always the thing that we should go for. Particularly if it takes us away from obedience and trust in what God has promised. So don't be like Abram. I should say, don't be like Lot. Be like Abram. But more importantly, believe God's promises. Let's pray. Lord, our faith is tested in many ways in this world that we live in. We have distractions that drown out the conviction of your spirit. We have pleasures that seem better than something you've promised way down the road. We have voices that lie to us and say, if you deny your God and come over here, you will be happy. You will have all that you could ever dream of, and you don't have to wait for it. Lord, help us to put off those distractions, to exercise self-control over those desires, to shut our ears to the tempting voices that would call us to immediate satisfaction of what we think that we want instead of long-term joy following a life of faithful service to you rewarded in your presence in eternity. That's a difficult choice to make. That's a difficult choice to keep making. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to make the right choices. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.